morning. Turn your Bibles over to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, and we will start right in verse 1. It says, this letter is from James, who we believe to be the half-brother of Jesus, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Let us pray. Father, as we come before you, we're thankful for our salvation. We're thankful for grace. But we're thankful, God, that as your word describes here, that when we need wisdom, when we need direction, when we are not quite sure what to do, we can ask you. And that you will not belittle us, you will not make fun of us. You know all things, you see the future. And yet when we humbly come to you, you honor that. You answer that. And I'm thankful for that. God, I pray that as we go through trials and we go through tribulations, that we're reminded that not every trial is because we did something wrong or because of sin. Sometimes it's simply that you are training us. You're prepping us. But it's always for our good. It's always to partake in your holiness. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So every now and then when you're a pastor's kid, your dad uses you as an illustration. <clears throat> and I've, I've preached this message before at another church, so she's heard it before. But um, my daughter, Gracie, she's 18, and uh, she's going to Aveda coming up in September. She's going to be doing hair. But um, I grew up with younger brothers, no sisters. And so, you know not used to having a little girl, something new for me. I was excited to have a little girl. I was excited to have my sons too, no question. But having a little girl, I'm like, what do you do with this? This is new to me. And so she was the oldest, is the oldest, and um, um, always wanted my undivided attention, always, especially at the age of two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. But especially when she was a little thing, she wanted my attention. I have watched more doodle bops and different cartoons. Some of them are not around any longer. Some of them are. They always involved singing. Well, she likes to sing, and she's an artist, and so on. And, um, and we would watch some of the Disney movies before they went, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But, but she loved to watch Beauty and the Beast. And we would watch Beauty and the Beast, and if I kind of update you a little bit on Beauty and the Beast, you have the Beast, you have Belle, you have Gaston, you know, the big strong guy who apparently drinks a lot, 
You have um, Mrs. Um, Potts, you have Chip, you have Cogsworth, you have a couple of the other ones. I won't go through all of them. This is what I noticed with my daughter when she was three, especially not just Disney movies, but other shows and what we would watch, is that when there was singing, when there was excitement, she was tuned in, man. She was tuned in. She would be dancing. She would be singing. But then, then when, the, when the singing stopped, when the good part stopped for her, what she could relate to, and it was the movie would start working more on the plot, of things. As a three-year-old, she's not paying attention. That bell really was just kidnapped by a hairy guy, really, if you get thinking about it. But she didn't know anything about the plot. She didn't think about her father, about Gaston. She's just watching. She doesn't have enough capacity to understand the plot of the movie and what's going on, but she loves the singing. She loves the good parts of the show. And so she doesn't understand all what's going on. And sometimes in Christianity, we are a little bit like that. We like the blessings. We like the excitement. We like all of that stuff, and we should. I hope that we do. We like the singing. We like, we like when life is going good. When, when, man, we can see the blessings, we can feel the blessings, and, and all is well. But, but when the tough times come... And we don't understand, and sometimes in this life, on this side of heaven, we don't have the capacity, and God doesn't want us to know all of what's going on in the plot. And we don't understand the plot. We don't understand what God is up to. But we know in Scripture that his ways are above our ways. We know that. We know that. And the question is, will we trust in that? And so maybe, just maybe, you are going through this Christian life. You got your life on track. You're doing everything right. You're doing everything. You're obeying the Lord. You're faithful. And one day you are blindsided with bad news. And there is this idea in, 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 in Christianity that we should never have problems. That any problem that comes our way is due to sin. Now, sometimes it is due to sin. Sometimes we, are, can be our, we can be our own worst enemy, but not every problem, not every trial, not every temptation comes away because we sinned. Sometimes it's just life, and we get caught up in the, um, some of uh, just what, what happens in life, what happens to people, and we experience some things that we don't like and we don't enjoy. And there is this idea, mostly in... in, in some TV pastors, not all TV pastors are bad, but, but unfortunately some of the ones on there are what I like to say preach the prosperity gospel. And this, this idea of a gospel where if you're faithful, if you're faithful and you're a good Christian, you, nothing bad's going to happen to you. You're going to have plenty of money. In fact, God wants to make you rich. He's going to make you rich. And um, you're, you know, you're going to win that game. Your favorite team's going to win the championship every year. That nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. That every health issue you have must be due to sin. And we know that's not true. But yet, we see some of that on TV. And some people believe it. Even some believers. And so as Christians, as Christians, as we mature in our faith, 
Sometimes um, we eventually start to understand why God does some of the things what he does. And at other times we'll never understand. But as we mature in Christ, we understand that we don't always understand the whole plot. We don't understand all what God's up to. But when we have faith and we trust in him and these trials, of what these trials are doing and how they're changing us, we get a little more grasp and understanding if I can trust in God despite my circumstances. And so here's number one. It's why do we have these trials? Trials reveal our attitude. Notice verse two. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Man, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like that Bible verse. <laughs> I lost my job. Woohoo! That's not my reaction. I just wrecked my car. Praise God. You know, one of my children just ate one of my donuts from Donut House. Praise, get over here, kid. <laughs> that may have happened this week. But trials review our attitude. And a trial slash temptation is some kind of trouble that breaks a pattern of peace, of comfort, joy, and happiness. The verb form of this means to put someone to the test with the purpose of discovering that person's nature. Count it all joy means to consider, to evaluate. And, um, and so we see, in, in the New King James says that this, this idea of fall gives us the idea that the trial is unexpected, that it blindsides us. It comes out of nowhere. You ever fell before? I mean, we all have fallen before. Hopefully we didn't get too badly injured. And by the way, why do wives laugh at their husbands every time they fall? You ever notice that? I've noticed that. Now, if I were to laugh at her, oh boy, we won't go there. This is not about marriage today. This is about trials. But you don't plan the fall. It happens suddenly. You fell on the stairs. You fell off a ladder. I mean, you can get injured. Usually we're okay, but we do fall. It's not planned. And this is something that is not planned. It's unexpected. And these trials, when they happen, consider it as an opportunity. Think on it. Like, what is God up to? How can I have joy in this unexpected circumstance in which I find myself in? Because our first reaction is not joy. It's usually complaining. It's usually arguing. It's usually anger, right? I, I get it. That's the flesh part of what we deal with. But scripturally, biblically, we're seeing this is an opportunity for joy. It's an opportunity. And you must realize that every trial becomes a test of faith designed to strengthen you. And if the believer fails the test wrongly by wrongly responding, then the test becomes a temptation. A temptation to do what? To worry. And it's been said that worry is a warning light warning us to pray. It is telling us to have joy because he knows that when we focus only on the trial, only on the problem, only on the injury, we're missing out on what God is trying to do. He's trying to grow us in some area. So why, why should we look at this for an opportunity for great joy? Because in the moment, there's not a whole lot of joy. 
But knowing that joy is coming up, knowing that there's going to be a blessing at the end of the trial, it gives us hope in knowing. And so we need to make a decision about our attitude. Our attitude when it, when it comes to a trial. And man, trials do reveal our attitude. No one else can control your attitude but you. No one. We can blame other people for our trial. We can blame other people for our issues. But our attitude. You ever seen two people who come out of the same family and one is bitter as all get out, but the other one, it seems like they don't have any problems. It's like it, it's, they experience the same issues in the, whole, in, the, in the family, and yet they came through with a different outlook. Why? Their attitude. You see, we must maintain a godly attitude. And to maintain a godly attitude requires maintenance. And, and this means that we deliberately make the choice about the situation. And no one else can do this for you. Your attitude is up to you. See, trials, they reveal our attitude, but trials also do this. They display our patience. Notice verse 3. It says, For you know that when your faith is tested, I heard a pastor say once, a faith that cannot be, a faith that is not tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. A faith is tested. It's going to be tested. Your endurance has a chance to grow. In other words, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Trials display our patience. Now we live, we live in a microwave society. We live in a society that wants constantly instant gratification. I mean, if you are wandering out in the middle of a woods here, let's say you're on the bike path, you're enjoying a day on your bike, and there's a book that crosses your mind, you're like, you know what? I need that book. I've been meaning to get that book. You can go on Amazon while you're riding your bike. Maybe you're that good. I'm not. And you can purchase that book quickly. And if you really want to, you could listen to the book while you're riding your bike, get the book, and listen to it. Or a podcast. I mean, we can receive things very, very quickly. And by nature, we are not patient people. And, and I love America. But let's face it. We're not known in the world as Americans as being the most patient people. We're not. And so part of it is our culture. We are not patient. And there's, what we see here in Scripture is that, man, your endurance, your patience is an opportunity for you to grow. And trials display our lack of patience or the amount of patience in which we have. But here we see James tells us something that every Christian should know. Knowing a good result will follow helps us endure. The trial in which we go through, the difficulty in which we go through, there's a purpose for it. And we may not always see it in the moment, but God has a purpose, and it's to, uh, for our patience. It's for our endurance. And by using this word, James teaches us to endure whatever comes and to go patiently on trusting the Lord. Without this quality... Our trials will not do us the good they otherwise could do. Notice what a trial does. That you may be perfect and complete. Hmm. Now, I don't see anyone in here perfect, including myself. What does this mean? This word perfect gives the idea of 
complete, of mature. In other words, God brings trials into our life to help us grow. Because let's face it, as people, we want to take, oftentimes we take the easiest path. The easiest path. And so as we take the easiest path, we don't always grow the way in which we should grow. But when we are giving a difficult task, or we're going through something difficult, or doing something difficult, that's where we're stretched. That's where we grow. And so faith, it's like a muscle. Unless it's under stress, unless it's underweight, it's not going to grow. And many of us, we get on cruise control. We think we're just flying under the radar with God. We're like, well, I haven't experienced anything difficult lately. Now, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. And I, I mean this for your good. I don't mean this to be harsh or mean. But if, you, if it's been a while since you've met Satan head on, my friend, it could be that you're headed in the same direction. And we know that to be true. There's times in our life where we have forgotten God. That's what our enemy wants us to do. He doesn't, he doesn't want us on fire for the Lord. He doesn't want us sharing our faith. He, doesn't, he wants us to look and act just like the world. And there's times that in your Christian walk, there are going to be people who, they're not for you. In fact, they might be just against you. Be, simply because you're a Christian and you're for Christ. So what do we do? Man, we follow the Lord and we realize that every trial in which we have come our way, that we don't waste them. So let me put it this way. Don't waste your trials. So Christian, every one of you, if you know Christ as your Savior, you're a born-again believer, you are going to go through some difficult times. You're going to have trials in your life. The question is, will you grow through them or will you waste them? And let, let them make you bitter, angry. There's some tough things you've gone through. And they weren't your fault. They weren't your fault. Maybe you went through a divorce. You didn't want the divorce. You didn't want that other person to cheat on you, but they did. And it really hurt your life. It was a huge trial. So what are you going to do? You can stay in bitterness the rest of your life. You can forgive. You can move on and let the Lord use that that trial to grow you, to mature you. Maybe you lost your job. You were, man, you were one of the hardest workers, and they let you go. They should have let the other guy go. He didn't work as hard as you did, and you're angry, and you're bitter about it. You may even think to yourself, well, I'm not going to work near as hard next job. But that's not God-honoring, and you know that. You could be angry and bitter, but at the end of the day, maybe it's time that God wanted you to put you in a new place. I remember I had a deacon once who said, man, I got this new job, and I'm the only Christian there. I'm wondering if I made the right choice. I'm like, man, you made the right choice. God put you in a place. You're the only Christian. You're the only light. You're the one planting seeds, and maybe, just maybe, God will move you to a new job and you're wondering why why did he make my life so uncomfortable for a time why am i even here and he moved you and at this difficult season because now you're surrounded by people who need jesus it's giving you a different influence in a different area 
And we could go on and on from kids and school and students and going to school and going to college and going here in this career. And there's from children or trying to have children or having children and difficulty with children at times and difficulty. I mean, we could go on and on with different examples. We all face trials and they display our patience and God wants to use them. Don't waste your trials. And we can go through this life and just be angry and bitter for every trial that comes our way and blame God. I get it. I get it. We all have, I've been there at one point. You can blame God or go, okay, what is God up to? Because God, you are my shepherd. Not just a shepherd. You are my shepherd. And you're for me. And I'm in your family. And you love me. And we may ask the question, man, why, why am I going through this? Well, James is giving us a little bit of an idea of why we're going through this. God wants us to partake in his holiness. He wants to develop something new in our lives. You see, trials do this. Trials give light to our dependency. Notice verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Have you ever been, you ever been in a place where you didn't know what to do? And that is what is being said here. It requires us putting our pride aside and asking God for help and understanding. We, we have not, we don't always have understanding. He has a great voice, by the way. <laughs> At least it wasn't YouTube, right? I mean, it's, it is the Bible. And it says, without criticizing. So God does not criticize us when we come to him. He knows all. He knows the future. God is outside of time and space. He looks at time from beginning to the end. Nothing catches him by surprise. He's God. And we can come to God. And we can ask him for advice and what to do. Now, there are times in which you may have two good decisions or two options, two good options, and you're not sure which one to take. Sometimes God will take one away. Sometimes he gives you options. Sometimes, now listen, sometimes, sometimes he gives you options because he's, he's, he's letting you learn. You ever thought about that? I, you're like, what, well, God, why are you doing that to me? Sometimes, like, I'll give you an example. It's one thing to watch... I've been working on, I had this garage slash barn at the end of our property. And um, I found out about how old it was. It was built in like 1996, 97, I believe. And um, I've been working on it. And so it had a roof with shingles and concrete floor, but the studs were open air. And, uh, and so I'm like, well, I, I replaced some rotten boards and I do a little bit of work here and there, uh, messing with that through the years, mostly at churches, right? So we're not a lot. And I'm like, you know what? I've never put metal on a building. Let's do it. So you watch some YouTube videos, right? And you watch how they put the J trim up and the base trim, and they go around the corners. I'm like, oh, that looks easy. They snip, snip, snip here, and you bend here, and you're ready to go. And the J, the J trim, especially where the windows are at, you're like, oh, I could do that. That looks really easy. And let me tell you, it's not. 
first window I did, I messed half of it up. I'm like, oh, that was so easy. Watched the video two or three more times. I mean, by the sixth, seventh, okay, eight, nine, tenth cut, I mean, it looked really good. But you realize that you can read something, right? You can watch something, but then when you do it, that's when you really learn. You take someone in the Bible. You've read the Bible for years, and then suddenly you need to teach a class. And you're like, oh, do I really know this? Do I know how to do this? And so as you start to teach, you realize how much you start to learn. Some of you teachers know what I'm talking about. You've been there before. And some, I think sometimes God gives us options because he wants us to figure it out and do it ourselves. It's a way of training us. I think sometimes that's the case between two good options. And, and, and so, but without criticizing, he helps us. He leads us. And Hebrews chapter 4 says, we, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And it will be given. There's one thing God can't do. There's probably more than just one thing God can't do. But one thing that's very clear in Scripture that God cannot do, according to Titus chapter 1, verse 2, is lie. God cannot lie. And we see in his word, it's his word, it will be given. He will give you wisdom. He will give you direction in his time. Trials also do this. They show your faith. Notice verse 6. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Now, why would James put that? Because we easily can put our faith and our trust in other things in this world that we can see. And he says, put it in the Lord alone. Put it in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect anything from the Lord. What if... What if the blessings you're missing is due to a lack of faith? Now, if we were honest, and we've been a Christian for a while, there's times which we feel like our faith is weak, that it's, we had those seasons. We all, we all do. We all do. Uh, but here, our faith is unsettled. It's wavering. We're, our mind is not made up. Don't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. So we ask in faith. And is, here's absolutely, it, faith is, necess, it is, is necessary if we want our prayers answered. So sometimes our prayers are not answered because it's a lack of faith, we see. Sometimes our prayers are not answered according to Second Peter because husbands the way that we treat our wives and so it's clear there so in other words the principle is that in our relationships the way we treat other people can hinder our prayers and a lack of faith can hinder our prayers but i love hebrews eleven six 6 says but without faith without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him Notice what it doesn't say in, these two, in this passage in James and here in Hebrews. It says, it doesn't talk anything about knowledge. It doesn't say, hey, since you know everything about the Bible and you know how to give all the answers, 
God's going to answer your prayers. Now, I'm not looking down on learning and having knowledge. We need that. We need to learn the Word of God. We need to hear the Word of God, no question. But it's faith. It's faith. And so believing prayer makes all things possible. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And so this idea of wavering, this double-mindedness, is an expression of doubt and unbelief. Now, if you've been a Christian a while, you've faced doubt before. And having doubt is not always a bad thing. I think, in fact, doubt makes you dig in and learn of why you're struggling with what you're struggling with. And what I've noticed that in, in, as a Christian is that when we have doubts and we dig in, it's also an opportunity for us to grow in our faith. Maybe, maybe you have some doubts and you have some questions, and they're not, they're, not, they're not bad questions, but it's about faith. Maybe it's God's way of having you dig in deeper into, maybe you've heard of this word, apologetics. Apologetics is not apologizing for the faith, but it's deeper questions about the faith and learning and finding out and finding those answers. I know we have some, definitely some people in here who love apologetics. I do as well, and um, of getting those questions answered. And you should. And so these doubts in which we have, we have those times. Even Peter doubted as he was walking on the water with Jesus, right? He saw the waves. He saw uh, as it, it, the rain that hit his face. He, we all have those times of doubt. But here, here of those who live constantly in doubt and never make a decision, never investigate, never are learning, never are growing. They just stay in their doubt. They don't challenge themselves. They're not trying to find those answers. They're missing out on God's blessings. You see, unbelief is really the same as calling God a liar. Now, where'd I get that from? That comes from Scripture. 1 John chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, it says this. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given us, his sons. In other words, God, you're not going to do what you said you're going to do. And so doubting gives this idea this, uh, of leaning towards the side of unbelief. And it says you're going to be unstable as you are in that period of doubt and unbelief. You're not going to grow. You're missing all what God has for you. And when, when is a time in which we have doubt when we're going through a trial, when life is getting tough, and we think, God has forgotten me. You see, all believers, man, we are tempted to doubt at some time or another. We must learn to resist this, this temptation and rest in the truth of what God says he will surely do. And I think of Abraham. Father Abraham, who had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. How many of you remember that song? Yeah. Abraham's a great example for us. Now notice, notice what Abraham chose to do. I want, you to, I want you to turn a couple different passages here, but Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Just a, just a verse or two here as we're going to turn to Romans 4 and verse 18. 
I have it on the screen as well. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Think about that. No reason to hope. Abraham kept hoping. He was trusting in the promises of God, believing that he would become the father of many nations. He had no children. He's an old man, yet he kept trusting. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. And even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in, uh, in, in this, he brought glory to God. And he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Abraham kept trusting. He had faith in the Lord even when there was no hope, at least on the human level. It made no sense, but he kept trusting because of this promise he gave to God. You know, I know this this quick story. The significance of David versus Goliath. So many focus in on the boldness of David, and he was. He was bold. He took out Goliath with his sling and, 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 and of course, you know, killed Goliath. But why was David so bold? Why was he so bold? The same reason Abraham was so bold. That he knew he was anointed. He was out in the field. His own father he had seven sons. He had six of them there. And Samuel goes to each one of them. God says, nope, that's not the one. That's not the one. That's not the one. And finally, Samuel says, Jesse, you have any other sons? Oh, yeah, he's out in the field. Well, go get him. I'll wait. They go bring him. And God says, that's the one. He anoints his head with oil. With oil. Anoints him. You're going to be the next king. His brothers are there. His father, his mother, and who else? Probably servants are there. I don't know. And he's going to be the next king, and he knew it. He knew he was anointed. He knew that God was going to use him. And so when he sees Goliath out there, why was he so bold? The same reason Abraham had so much great faith. He had the promises of God. And child of God, you have the promises of God. And you can be bold and you can rest in it and have peace in knowing of God's promises and his character. And so, continue living. And as Romans 12 tells us, that we present our bodies anyway as a living sacrifice. That it's not about us, it's about God anyway. And so we'll follow him. And last week, trials do this. Trials refine us or they define us. They really do. Believers who successfully endure trials are truly happy. Hebrews 12 tells us, And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. And as you endure this divine discipline... Remember that God is treating you as his own children. And who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you're illegitimate and you're not really his children at all. And since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? 
our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always, always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable. Why it's happening, it's painful. But afterward, there will be peaceful harvests of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. There's a story told of a group of women who met for a Bible study. And while they were studying the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 3, they came across this verse and it says, He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And this verse kind of puzzled the women. They, were wondered, they wondered about how the statement would apply to the character and the, the nature of God. So one of the women said, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to find out more about this passage. So the following week, she called up a silversmith and made an appointment to watch him while he worked. She didn't mention anything about the reason for her interest beyond her curiosity about the process of refining silver. And as she watched the silverman work, silversmith work, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire, where the flames were the hottest, and as they burn away all the impurities. And the woman thought about God holding us each in a hot spot. And then she thought again about the verse. He sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith if it was true that if he had to sit there in front of the fire the entire time the silver was being refined. And the man said, yes. That not only did he have to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on it the entire time that it's in the fire. If the silver was left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. And so she asked, well, how do you know when it's done? And the silversmith looked at her and said, when I see my reflection in it. And my friend, God takes us through trials. He takes us through difficult times to burn away the impurities, conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's his will and his desire for your life. So will you let the Holy Spirit, will you let the Holy Spirit use these trials to refine you? Stop wasting your pain. Don't waste the trial. And let God do a work. On the other end, there will be joy. There will be peace for all who trust in him. Let us pray. Father, no question there are some who are going through some difficult, difficult times. Maybe, maybe wondering why. It could be a situation that maybe they even put themselves in. I don't know. 
But God, you take us through difficult times for our good. And Lord, I pray that anyone here this morning that's in that situation, that's going through that storm, and it said that we're either in a storm or we're headed into one, I pray that they will feel and know your presence, that they will choose faith over their doubt and realize that you are at work. And as we're in an attitude of prayer and a time of reflection, say, Pastor Lucas, that's me. Right now, I'm going through a trial. Just pray for me, Pastor. Just raise your hand and show it to the Lord. Say, I'm going through some stuff. Amen, Minnie. God knows and he sees it. Lord, I'm praying for those who raise their hands. Lord, you know their need. You know what they're going through. We can boldly say that you do know that we have a high priest, that we have a Savior who knows our struggles. I'm thankful for that, Lord. Be with them. Fill them with your spirit. We love you, and we praise you, Lord. Precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you.